Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 2 of the Book of Hebrews, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. The second installment is entitled, Jesus Who Became Man is Better Than the Angels. A reminder of the overview of Hebrews is that it was probably written around 67 or 69 AD as the evil Emperor Nero was coming to the end of his reign or right after he committed suicide. It was addressed to Jewish Christians and its theme is Jesus is greater. The author may have been the Apostle Paul or Apollos, but it's uncertain. Last week, When we looked at chapter 1, there was a contrast between Jesus and the angels. He was given wonderful titles like heir of all things, maker of the universe, the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being. Not to mention God's Son and God himself and Lord and sustainer of all things by his powerful word. So now we're ready to look again at a contrast between Jesus and the angels, but the emphasis is going to be on when Jesus became man. So here we begin with verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? So, in examining these first couple of verses, the question comes up, when in the Old Testament was there ever a message spoken by angels that was so binding that when it was violated or disobeyed, it received a just punishment. Well, one example of that can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 22. This was when the children of Israel had escaped slavery in Egypt, and they were coming across the wilderness to the promised land, and they came near the land of Moab. The king of Moab was threatened by them, and He wanted to see them harmed, and so he tried to hire a prophet by the name of Balaam, who was a Gentile, but apparently did receive messages from God at times. And Balaam seriously began to consider what it would be like to take the money and the power that the king of Moab was offering in order to put a curse on the children of Israel. In fact, he went with some representatives of the king of Moab to Moab to meet with the king, and his greedy attitude angered God. So God sent an angel, and remember we're talking here about angels issuing commands that if they were violated would result in punishments, sent an angel to block Balaam's way. But Balaam who, as you know, was a prophet or seer, as that was called, ironically could not see that this angel was there, but his donkey could see it. 
The donkey tried to get away from the angel and in the process mashed Balaam's foot up against the rock wall of a vineyard or garden. And in his anger, Balaam began to beat the donkey and the Lord allowed the donkey to give a message to Balaam. And we read then later in Numbers 31.8 when the plan didn't work for him to curse the people of Israel because God wouldn't allow it and he had gone sort of through the back door by encouraging the king of Moab to send Moabite women to seduce the men and that had resulted in a punishment on some of the Jews. Numbers 31.8 says, they, meaning the Jews, fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Then you read a little further and it says they also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. So that's just one example of what we read here in Hebrews 2.2 coming to pass. That was pretty awesome. The angel issued a message and it was disobeyed by greedy Balaam, and he received his just punishment, which was death. But the point of that verse is not for us to be in awe so much of the angel, but to be in awe of the fact that Jesus, who became man, preached a message even more binding than that. So we go on to verse 3. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So when do we read that this salvation was announced by the Lord? Well, one good example of that would be Matthew 4.17, when Jesus started his earthly ministry and he went around preaching the gospel to people. It was the same gospel that John the Baptist had preached. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So going back to what we had just read then, this salvation was first announced by the Lord. We get that. And then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So if you go to 2 Peter 1.16, we read Peter's own words. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And another one of the inner circle of the disciples, John, you know, there was Peter and James and John who were closer to the Lord than the other nine, says himself in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So both Peter and John, as Hebrews 2.3 says, confirmed to us that they were eyewitnesses of that salvation. 
Remember, we also just read verse 4 about how God testified to it by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. A good example of a sign would be the star of Bethlehem. You recall how when the wise men had followed that star as they came from the east, they met with Herod before they went to Bethlehem. And they said, we have seen his star in the east. A good example of a wonder would be the appearance of the angels to the shepherds at the birth of Christ in the middle of the night. Luke 2, 9, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. You might recall that it scared those shepherds to death. They were mortified and then they were delighted at this proclamation of the good news. So verse 4 again, Hebrews 2, God also testified to it by signs, like the star of Bethlehem, wonders, like the angels appearing to the shepherds, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are so many miracles listed in the Gospels that we couldn't possibly go through them all now, but one good example is in Mark 4, 39, when he said to the angry waves in the middle of the storm, peace be still. And the wind calmed and the waves ceased. A listing of spiritual gifts, then, can be found in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and even a couple in 1 Peter 4. So we see that all these marvelous spiritual gifts, too, testify to the salvation that has come from the marvelous incarnation of Jesus. So we continue with Hebrews 2.5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, and he's getting ready to quote Psalm 8, 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So you see that David starts out talking about man, but when it comes to the part about how God has put everything under his feet and crowned him with glory and honor, now we're talking about Jesus Christ becoming a man. Kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1.22. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So it was because Jesus took on the form of a human being that he was glorified by the Father, not because he had the form of an angel. Do you see then that Today's theme is just slightly different from chapter 1. It's not just Jesus is better than the angels. It's Jesus who became man is better than the angels. It was his humanity that made what he has done and who he is so very worthy of our praise. But we go on to verse 8. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. But we see Jesus 
who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. And so it was his humanity and his suffering that made possible the marvelous exaltation and salvation, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You know, Paul affirms that in Philippians 3, 21, where he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, and get this, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Sure didn't look very glorious when he was hanging on the cross, beaten to a pulp, bleeding and suffering, unimaginable, torturous pain. But then we read in Hebrews 2.10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Are you getting that? Jesus the man, Jesus who became man, is better than the angels. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Can you believe that the God of all creation would lower himself to call himself our brothers? We go on in verse 12. He says, and now he's quoting Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, and now he's moved to Isaiah 8, 17 and 18, and you can see how very well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures this author was. Quote, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Beautiful messianic scriptures about what Messiah would really think of those he had come to redeem by becoming a man. Hebrews 2.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So yes, the man, Jesus, Jesus who became man is better than the angels. Like it says in Romans 8, 3 and 4, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Did you catch that? in the likeness of sinful man. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was made fully human. We read in the Gospels that he was sad. We know he was sad because he wept after Lazarus died. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was grieved. He was angry. He was tempted. He was made to suffer. Was tempted to do what? Well, in the wilderness alone, he was tempted to show off, to worship the devil, to gain the world, which was to be lazy and take the shortcut, to give in to lust for food. And I suppose that we must also believe that to be human is to be sexual, and Satan must at some point have tempted Jesus with sexual sin. We have to understand that Jesus, in the body of a man, shivered and sweat and ran and played and laughed and learned and grew. You know, as a child, for some reason, I believed that Jesus' humanity was kind of a game of pretending. So I thought that he had the mind of God as a newborn baby, and he only pretended to learn to talk, even though he already knew everything. He pretended to learn the scriptures, even though he was the Word incarnate. But now I realize that Jesus' maturation was a process just like ours. There really was a point at which he didn't know how to sit up and he didn't know how to walk, and he didn't know how to speak Aramaic, and he didn't realize that he was Messiah. But all of these things gradually came to him because he experienced life as an absolute, genuine, bona fide human being. Why do you need to know that? Because you need to know that he understands what you're going through. What you're going through emotionally, physically, or spiritually, Jesus doesn't just understand because he's your creator. He understands because he's your brother. Verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Get it? Jesus who became man is better than the angels. He was our faithful high priest, but he was also the sacrifice that that high priest was offering. How marvelous that he could be both. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Could it be that God would like to use suffering to perfect you too? Could you begin to view trials as teaching experiences? Like you were behind the desk in a classroom, learning from the master. Open your eyes and see what God would like you to learn. Jesus did. We must remember that he understands what we face.
God Almighty come in the flesh. Jesus the man is better than the angels. In my grandparents' carport years ago was an old bumper sticker that they had affixed to a wooden door. It was put there by my grandfather maybe 40 years ago, and it simply said, No one understands like Jesus. Take that truth into your heart. You're all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, glorious creator has been where you are. And he can help you because he was made man. Trust him. Jesus, who became man, is better than the angels. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, pass it along.